Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I'm the founder of Innovation Meets Leadership and the Vice President of Innovation for Territory Global. Today, we are continuing our series around innovation, and I'm really excited about my guest today, Matt Murawski. Matt has been a practitioner of design thinking and visual thinking for a decade, more than a decade. In the course of designing and delivering scores of programs globally, Matt established the Amsterdam Visual Thinking School. Matt is also a co-author of The Art of Opportunity. It's a practical guide to identifying, developing, and launching new business opportunities through strategic innovation. And we're actually going to talk about that today. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks, Natalie. It's good to be here. We want to make innovation very practical and very approachable and tangible for our listeners today. There's so much goodness in what we're going to talk about that we're actually breaking it up into two sessions. And so in this first session, we're going to introduce some of the concepts. And then in the second session, we're going to go very specific and help people walk through how to deliver on some of the concepts we talked about. Terrific. Let's jump in. Great. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) So... You say these things all the time, and I just want you to kind of define them for our listeners. You, you talk about the idea of big innovation and then practical innovation. So what are the differences between those two things? Yeah, uh, I think we can talk about big innovation and practical innovation and even put a third bit in there. When you think about it, it's about the scale and how big do you want your innovation to be? Most of us have a notion in our head when we hear about innovation. We may think of you know the, the iPod and Apple and Steve Jobs and these kind of big, big, what we would call breakthrough innovations. But there's also the kind of a smaller scale innovation that we call incremental. And incremental is really about just taking what you do and improving that product or service or enhancing it in some way. It still keeps you within the same market, but people see it as innovation in that. For instance, you could look at AAA and they have added uh, GPS tracking, among other things, over the years to make their service better. Then you look at the next level of innovation, which we might call adjacent, where we start to think of, well, how can we take our service and apply it in ways that haven't been applied before? And if you keep with the, say, a AAA model, for example, you know, to say, okay, well, we've been offering this to consumers and automobilists. Now we might offer a service to car rental agencies out of airports that we can then tag that on. And again, now we're growing our market shares. We're pushing into new opportunities and new areas. Although, you know, to be fair, I, I do believe that most AAA members, even if you have a rental car, it works that way. But it's that kind of idea. And then real breakthrough innovation, again, that most of us often think of, is about saying, how can we take the models that we've created and the expertise that we have and really begin to either solve radically new problems or bring it into a new space? So for AAA, for example, you know, if they have been all about emergency roadside assistance, how might they take that model and apply it to homeowners insurance or home uh, emergency assistance and things like that, where they're applying that expertise? So it's with those lenses that we start to really look and say, okay, what are we comfortable with trying to do? What are we really trying to accomplish with our innovation goals? Well, I think that's brilliant because what you're essentially saying is we can take something that already exists and figure out how to apply it to other areas or other methods that can be applied to it. And I think that makes it 
much more approachable than saying, I want you to be the next Elon Musk or I want you to be the next Steve Jobs, <laughs> which those folks are few and far between. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, if everybody's idea of mountaineering was climbing Mount Everest, there'd be a lot fewer of them, right? But we can go <laughs> climb hills, we can go take walks. Not everybody needs to be revolutionary that way. That's really cool. And that means that we can approach innovation without feeling these barriers and walls being between us and what we're going to create. So when you think about how this practically applies, if someone's in an organization, how can they figure out? They want to be innovative. They want to press the bounds, but they know that there's potentially limitations in an organization. How can they advance ideas in a way where, you know, let's say they have freedom, but within a framework, how can they advance their ideas? What I would do in that is really look at what is that framework? What does that freedom in a framework mean and look like to you? And for any organization or any person within that organization, they need to define that. And you can look to an established innovation strategy. Perhaps often many companies don't actually have one that they've at least articulated broadly. But if you're looking to be more innovative, you can look there, you can inquire, but you also need to say, okay, well, what is the, what is the playground in which I operate? What do I have some license to do and what part of the organization am I in? What are, who are the contacts I have? Who can I connect with? Um, and what is our, you know, to some degree, what is our culture? Are, are we a culture that will uh, actively engage with new ideas from the bottom up potentially, right? If you're not, if you're not sitting in the C-suite or if you're not in the innovation quote unquote department, you know, or, or product development innovation, you may not be considered to have much license in doing this. And so your, your tasks may be less challenging on the innovation idea generation side and more just on getting people to support your ideas and move them forward throughout the organization. So what would you say to a leader that's asking, how can I get my people to think more innovatively? So they want to come up with good ideas, move a little bit faster and be a little bit more practical with the ideas that they're bringing forward. Yeah. I think a great place to start is oftentimes in doing the right amount of preparation, right? Like somebody famous said something about, you know, beautiful constraints, right? Yeah. Like that design and innovation really likes a beautiful constraint. And, and to do that in the art of opportunity, we developed what's called a growth initiative brief. And, and I won't go over it in detail here, but it's basically about setting the parameters or the boundaries for your innovation and, and giving people, let's just call it a sandbox in which to play. And that looks like saying, hey, here's, as we talked about, here's the type of innovation we're looking for. Are we, you know, we may be just, we're just really looking for incremental in innovation at this point. And here's why. We're looking to grow market share or we're looking to, to improve revenue in this particular area so that people can go, oh, okay, I, I see that. that. That sounds cool. And then we can give them kind of the parameters, right, and say we need to stay within our industry, right, or we have, you know, we're only going to be able to use these types of resources for it. Like we can lean on a fund maybe. We actually have time. I can assign you to say, you can take out of your time, you know, two hours a week or, you know, X amount of time to go do this. And believe it or not, something as simple as that to say, I'm going to just give you the freedom. I'm going to carve some space so that you can go do these things can be extremely valuable. 
other elements is like looking at your team. Who do you have to work with? Who do we, who can we pull in who kind of understands it and gets it that we can bring in and then start saying, all right, here, you know, and if you run into challenges, here are the people that you can talk to about it. Here's how I, as a leader or your leader, this is how I think we should review it or engage with your team to say, how should we evaluate these ideas? What, you know, and how regularly should we do this? And then just applying a simple timeline to it, right? Or a time frame, and say, let's see how far we can get in the next month or in this quarter to see what we come up with. Let's just start there. Once you establish those parameters, then you start to free up your team to kind of go out and engage and, and begin to ask the questions and what we might call the hard work of innovation. Well, I really like what you said about giving them the set aside time to actually think. I was thinking when you said that, it reminded me of a CTO I used to work for and he would give us thinking time on Fridays. And so we weren't allowed to schedule meetings during that block of time. And it was actually to literally sit and think about what products were out there, what products we wanted to create and, and really what did we want to do? What, what did we want to put a stake in the ground on in terms of what our competitors are doing and how we wanted to differentiate ourselves? And I, I just love that because it feels so simple, but we don't do that. We pack our calendars. And so we create a culture where we don't have margin to think or dream or, or create. Yes. And if you think about most corporate cultures, it's filled with, you know, type A people who are movers, doers, go-getters, right? And they were hired to come up with solutions. And the idea of coming up with something wrong, right? Like to like the whole idea of innovation is you get it wrong a lot. Yeah. It's almost carving away all the bad ideas until you get to a good idea. And as a leader, not only do those parameters matter, but then opening it up and saying, no, I want you to do this. I want you to daydream. I want you to quote unquote, seem like you're doing nothing because it's in that empty space of thinking. It's in that freedom that you'll start to really come up with new ideas and you'll shed that fear of being wrong and open up to, oh, what if we could do this? Oh, this might be interesting, right? Like it's, again, that's a, that's kind of a soft skill of innovation leadership that is often again, often overlooked. What you said is just gold, because I feel like this is the space where we have to wade into the uncomfortable in order to be successful. And it is in the doing nothing that you, you actually have these brilliant ideas. And I think it's really hard for people, especially the type A folks that are out there listening to this, to actually make that change and think about things a little differently. Yes. And one of the things that I like to do with teams when we're working on new ideas, and especially if you're working with a team directly, everyone is co-creating or collaborating together, or if you need to share your ideas back and you're now putting an idea out into the public forum, that I like to remind the team to say, our job here isn't to say no. That if we think this is impossible or we're like, huh, you know, that this is just this is blue sky, it's crazy, it's lunacy. Instead of saying no, ask what would need to be true for this to work? Wow. And it turns that conversation into, well, this may be crazy, but what stands in the way, right? And, and it might be, you know, we need flying cars and we need, you know, <laughs> transporters and things like that. But at least you've articulated it instead of just saying culturally, no, like that's just dumb. It's like, well, we just don't have the technology for that. But if you think about it, put that on the shelf, you know, and put a little trigger on it that says, you know, if flying cars actually become a reality, let's pull this idea off the shelf because it could be really, really good. 
And, you know, and oftentimes, especially in today's fast moving technology and development, some of these things that we thought were outlandishly impossible and are big reasons for saying no are actually coming true. And we pull those up, we go, oh, we can do this. We do have access to this. Now we've got some relevance in a much, much shorter period of time. So let's turn to space exploration for a second, because I feel like, you know, I feel like what you're saying is so important because I think about all these boosters, right, that every space exploration, whether it's Russia or ourselves or China, when these rockets are launched, right, these boosters are, are they don't work after they've been used, right? And SpaceX said, what if you had an aircraft that every time you used it, you had to throw it away and start over, Yep. <laughs> so, exactly. Right. So and and then so they went from from making that a reality to now talking about exploration of Mars and why are we not taking more exploration of solar systems? And so how how do you how can you practically cuz <laughs> cuz I think some people would look at him and be like you're you're crazy, but you have to already look at the advances that he's done to say is he crazy or is he on to something? And I think mm-hmm. for what he's shown us is that if you want to be taken seriously, you have to start small, whether it's Tesla or let's make a booster, not something that's disposable, but something that we can use again and again. Mm -hmm. This idea that like, let's make it approachable and small before we go get the big wins. I think that's important part of someone who wants to be innovative is to build their credibility over time. I think you landed straight on it right there. And building credibility over time is from a, well, I guess like a management or career perspective is often what people want to do, right? I want to be known for my innovation and the way I've driven things forward. And so, yes, driving that credibility over time probably means being thoughtful and methodical about how you sell your ideas and how you develop them and bring them forward. A lot of us are out there running, you know, we have big ideas and say, we should be doing this and like, let's build this and try it. And everything when we're learning typically fails in some respect, right? And if we spend all this time and energy to build one thing and make it work, then our credibility is kind of shot as is our budget and our resources. That was your one shot. Mm -hmm. But if you can say, I think there's something big out there. Like, I think this is a real potential to break it down into those kind of what would need to be true and, and just say, okay, well, is this piece true? Can we just test this in a very small way? And oftentimes people will look at like, well, is there market demand for this? And that doesn't mean you need to spend, you know, six figures on market research if you're just floating the idea out there. If you can say, well, let's talk to our some of our, our customers or our competitors' customers, right? And to say, if this thing was out there, would you be interested in it? Again, it's not entirely scientific, but it's enough and there's not enough at risk that you can say, if this works, yeah, then let's move it forward. Right. And you can share that incrementally as you grow toward and evolve toward the bigger solution. Instead, you're saying, hey, give me give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, and that's still a big chunk of money. But give me that to go test these things and move the ball forward instead of give me twenty five million 
and three years, and I'll come back to you with the <laughs> right. you know with the booster rocket that lands on a pad. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I think it's I think it's that in- incremental way of thinking that is very powerful versus trying to go after that big idea. And so one thing that you mentioned earlier, I want to dive in on this for just a second, is you talked about what stops the flow of ideas. And and one of those things was being told no. And there's something psychological, I think, that happens in a meeting when everyone's brainstorming and everyone's throwing out ideas on the board. And then someone in the middle of that process is told, well, that's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all human at the end of the day. You know, like kindergarten, we all have feelings. And to, for us to suggest that, well, in this business environment, we, you know, we should have tougher skins. Yeah, we should. We need, you know, we're adults. We need to own up to things. But when you are trying something new, like a new sport or a new skill, if there was somebody sitting next to you while you were just trying to hit a tennis ball or, you know, bake a, a cake or do some, something, some <laughs> new skill. And they just said, well, well, that's dumb. Well, you're no good. Like that's, why, why would you do it that way? We're, we're going to either gravitate away from that person or, you know, in a business setting, we, we're probably just going to shut down. And that's when you're really starting to fail because not only are you losing that person's input and their good ideas and their potential input, but you are now actively eroding trust, right? Like you're now it's like, I don't, I don't even know if I like that person anymore. I really didn't like what they're doing. And, you know, and they may be, you know, doing it in a, in a political way because we are, we're in theater when we're with all of our colleagues and we may be competing and, and we really need to get into that space where all our ideas are okay. And again, it's, I don't mean to mean this in a blue sky way. It's just saying that we don't need to open on ideas and evaluate them and decide all in one sitting, right? Just mm-hmm. commit yourself to, we're just going to create a billion ideas here and then we'll sift through them later. And we can get to that. And you can actually make that part of it really fun where you do shoot down ideas ruthlessly because you need to, <laughs> but don't do it right out of the gate because that's just, that's, that, that's counterproductive. Yeah. There's something beautiful when people are brainstorming, they're in a creative space and you have to let that space breathe. And I think that you have to allow that space to come out. And then when it's time to group, you can even tell them, Hey, we're switching gears now. Let's put on our Shark Tank hat, right? Yes. Like you said, you can make yeah. it fun and and say, now we're just going to crush some really bad ideas. <laughs> and, yeah. and by that point, they're all out. So we're not shutting anybody down. Absolutely. And I, I want to add to this because I think this is really interesting that more and more companies seem to be taking personality profiles and assessments of their employees, right? Like the INTJ and Myers-Briggs and things like that, that show us what we're good at right? That show us like, oh, I really thrive in the creative zone, right? Like freeform creative is where I'm best. Others are, no, I'm much more rational. I want proof. I want evidence. I'm numbers-based. And to actually think about that from a leadership position and say, okay, as I develop my innovation team, I want to pull in as many red people, as many creative just out there thinkers as I possibly can initially. And maybe I'll put a few of these kind of blue type personalities in there with us as well, just to provide a little bit of 
of balance, but I want to let the blue people know that this may be really unpleasant for them and really uncomfortable. And they might not feel like they're doing their best work in this environment. Mm -hmm. And then as that idea evolves, you then take that and say, okay, well, we've created this body of ideas. Now I'm going to go put it in front of my rational people, my blue people, the ones who are like, let's make a plan. Let's run the numbers. Let's do all this against it and have them look at it. Right. And they start to shape it as well. And then you, you start to really use the primary skills of your team instead of asking them sometimes to really do things that they are just not innately good at and or they may perhaps don't want to participate in. And that's okay. What you just said is so brilliant because it's forcing us to look at people as human and it's forcing us to look at people as individuals, understand their strengths and know how to leverage their strengths in these types of sessions. And that is super brilliant because a lot of times we don't know who we have in the room and we try to leverage them incorrectly and then we're frustrated. And what you just said is so important for innovation is when it's time to create, make sure you have the right people in the room. And when it's time to decide, make sure you're pulling the right people forward. And those types of things, I think, really help innovation become more approachable and a lot easier to wrap your arms around. Yeah, exactly. I love your example of the booster rocket that lands itself, right? Like I still, I've seen that happen and I don't believe it happens. (laughs) I have no idea how they actually make that happen. And I laugh about it because I could think, yes, I could come up with that idea potentially, right? In a brainstorming and saying, wow, what if we had this, you know, rocket booster that lands itself, but I am not the person (laughs) to go build it right? Or even to start that whole process, but you need those people. And then you need somebody to actually talk to the people who would build it and say, this is what we came up with, right? It's kind of crazy, right? But could you do it? And you're just passing those ideas along. And it really is, it's a whole brain theory, right? It's, and that whole brain is really a whole brain out of an entire team of an entire collection of people. That's right. And that to me, I think is, is fascinating. And the better we are at doing that identifying where people play best and how to to use them, I think the better our innovation will ultimately be. Gosh. So I told our listeners that this was going to be really incredible, and it was. (laughs) And I'm excited for them to come back and listen to part two of our episode where we we really get down into the details. And we're going to actually provide them in addition to that with a resource that they can use to think about some of these things on their own. So any final thoughts for our listeners? Stay tuned. I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. You can follow Matt on LinkedIn and visit territory.co to learn more about Matt and the company that we work at. If you enjoyed this podcast, let's get the word out by subscribing, leaving a review and sharing this episode on your social media platforms. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. 
We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make Imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at territory.co.